in every country Treats. You know we can Work together and learn what we need To meet the challenge Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This is Dr. Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory, host of this podcast series, which is brought to you by the International Society of Arboriculture and the F.A. Bartlett Tree Expert Company. Today's podcast is Dr. Francesco Farini, who is a professor and chair of the School of Agriculture and Forestry at the University of Florence in Italy. He will be speaking on native versus exotic landscape plants. Hi all, uh, I'm here to present uh, my, my talk. Uh, it's online, unfortunately, we cannot see each other like we used to be. Uh, today I will talk about native or exotic species in the urban landscape uh, because it's the very big debate all over uh, the world. I will share my presentation with my colleague Alessio, Alessio Fini. Uh, probably you know me because I have uh, attended so many ISA conferences in the past, so I just skip this slide to uh, go to the layout of my presentation. Uh, first of all, I will uh, introduce uh, the topic, uh, saying some definition of ecosystem, biodiversity and urban, and then I will uh, go through the, the presentation uh, and I will finish with the uh, plant selection criteria to be used in a global change scenario to plant trees in the urban environment. Uh, first of all, what is biodiversity? There are several definitions of biodiversity. Uh, we can use whatever we want. Uh, I like to use the simple uh, definition, which is on Wikipedia. Uh, that is, biodiversity is the variation of life forms within a given ecosystem, biome, or for the entire Earth. Biodiversity is often used as a measure of the health of biological system. I just read it because it is a formal definition. But usually, uh, many people also refer to the United Nations Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro when another uh, but very similar definition of biodiversity was, uh, uh, was issued. But anyway, the second uh, important thing is to uh, defin uh, define what is urban. Because accordingly to the Census Bureau, urban is defined as a densely populated area of more than 2,500 2, people. But you know, it's different if you talk about Japan, United States, Italy, or Central Europe, or if you refer to South America, maybe Canada, or Iceland or the Scandinavian countries in Europe. So a reasonable ecological definition is urban is an area where a relatively dense congregation of people causes the built environment to dominate over the natural uh, environment. Uh, but there are different types of urban areas. This, is, this picture uh, was taken in Hong Kong it's a typical street in downtown Hong Kong, and this is a typical uh, urban uh, area in that part of the world, uh, the Southeast Asia, uh, Southeast China, Southwest China, Hong Kong, uh, Vietnam, and other countries, Thailand, and, and so on. But also urban, uh, urban area is a, a square like this with some plants, but still dominated by huge buildings and tall buildings all around. Yet, 
uh, urban is also an urban park with where uh, the, the, the green areas, the trees, the grass, and also these uh, water features dominate, in this case, the uh, built environment, which is surrounding this area. But also, an urban areas, it's a big urban park uh, in downtown of most of the European and uh, North American uh, cities. For example, I'm in my office now, and uh, my office is just uh, uh, in the middle of the biggest park in, in my city, in Florence. So it, I'm still in downtown Florence, but I'm in the middle of urban park where the condition of trees, shrubs, and, and, and grasses are very similar to the condition they, will find, they would find if they were in the uh, open countryside. And we also uh, need to define the uh, urban biodiversity. Uh, according to these two authors, Werner and Zanner, uh, they define the urban biodiversity as the animals and plants living with the settled, within the settled areas of a city. And it's important also to understand how biodiversity uh, uh, behave, how biodiversity is present in the urban stand because we have essentially four uh, types of, uh, four kinds of biodiversity. Genetics, uh, which is the, the diversity of genes among individuals of a species, uh, animal or uh, vegetal. Uh, by the biodiversity of species, which is linked to the number of species that live in a given environment. Biodiversity of ecosystem, because you know, in the in the urban environment, many many ecosystem can coexist in the same uh, territory. And then biodiversity of landscape, which means diversity of environments of ecosystem in a, a in a region. Uh, when we uh, we go down to biodiversity in the urban stand, we have to uh, deal with natural factors which uh, affect the biodiversity like climate, the native species pool, uh, pools and the soils, and then the human uh, factors, the anthropogenic factors. Uh, you know, the, 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 the mankind has altered uh, several conditions in, in the herd, especially in the last uh, two centuries. Uh, and all these, these changes, uh, all these changes uh, have given to uh, uh, altered uh, climate, local and global. Uh, they produced pollution, they are still producing pollution. They produce physical disturbances uh, and they modified the landscape design and also they uh, have some effects on management activities uh, related to species selection, plantings and removal, removal of trees, shrubs and uh, uh, so other plants. And in the city or in the urban uh, yards, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the plant pool, the species pool is affected by the native continental flora, uh, which is filtered by, by the climate uh, condition and by the horticulture industry uh, pools with preferences and regulation filters. Uh, matching these two uh, factors, the continental uh, native flora and the horticulture industry uh, pool, and uh, uh, it, it builds the, uh, uh, the greenery in, in a city. And uh, 
contrary to what the public opinion uh, feels and sometimes uh, thinks, it's, uh, it's not proven that the urban areas contains a lower degree of uh, species biodiversity. It's just the contrary, because it has been proven that in the urban areas we can find a higher level of biodiversity and uh, uh, most of the scientists now agree that the, the urban areas are somewhat indispensable for the conservation of some key species that can be uh, uh, under real threat in the uh, open, uh, open lands. And so the biodiversity in the city, uh, it's made of uh, native species, like in this picture, I put a big uh, trees of European hackberry plus exotic species. I put two uh, species of Zelkova, which is very similar to uh, Celtis australis, uh, European hackberry. And uh, this leads sometimes to homogenization. Uh, and because it has been observed that the big, uh, big cities uh, of the three uh, boreal continents, Asia, Europe and, and North America, host species which are quite similar to each other and uh, each of them with the surrounding rural environment. In the United States there are some oaks that are very similar to European oak and vice versa. And it's very important also in terms of biodiversity to uh, uh, keep in mind two main factors, uh, the patch size and corridors, because the a higher biodiversity is associated with larger patch size. You see that uh, the, the, the larger the, the, it's, it's a park, the larger is a patch, the bigger is the biodiversity. And also corridor. Uh, corridors has, have a very high importance in supporting urban biodiversity. You see in these uh, um, slides, which I took from uh, two authors uh, dating back to 2015, you see that the, the FX size of a corridor is much higher than the, uh, the, the other green area, the agriculture area. And also you should note that the sealed surfaces reduce below zero the, uh, uh, the, the species richness. Uh, this is a problem in the urban stand, the soil sealing, which leads to a lower, much lower biodiversity, a loss of biodiversity, loss of species. And it's important also to see that uh, the species, the, 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 the uh, tree species, the shrub species, uh, biodiversity, it's very important also because it affects uh, animal biodiversity. So reduced fragmentation, uh, uh, you see the, 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 uh, the species richness, which is much higher uh, um, uh, along the city edges compared to the city center and house more parks uh, host a, a lower biodiversity uh, compared to larger uh, larger parks, and it is it's very nice it's very nice to note how uh, the, the the main activities uh, affect this uh, biodiversity. Uh, the picture in the, in the uh, right lower side of the of this slide was taken during the lockdown last March in Italy. You see two rodeos waiting for a haircut in front of a closed shop, all the shops were, were closed and uh, the, the, the animal like roe deer, wild boar, even some wolves were seen and filmed 
in, in my city uh, during the lockdown. So it, it was terrible because, you know, we were all uh, forced at home, but it was nice to see how the nature can immediately uh, retake uh, its position in, in our, our cities. And also it's important how uh, the, uh, the different, the ethnogenity of forest trees, it's important to uh, maintain and to improve biodiversity. Because if you realize green areas with a pluristratified uh, vegetation and of uneven age stands, then you will have more, uh, the higher, sorry, higher uh, biodiversity. And also uh, this is uh, related, somewhat related to diameter. The biggest is the diameter, the higher, the higher is the bio biodiversity. And it's important also uh, this conceptual scheme uh, that I take from Bozat and other authors in 2016, they published this scheme, very interesting, it's a conceptual scheme of the six biodiversity uh, scales which are used to analyze uh, on the perception and the valuation of urban biodiversity as is written in the slide. You see the six different uh, scales, the genes, the trade, the single species, the species communities, the ecosystem and the green versus and gray and how they are important in the valuation of urban uh, biodiversity. So we need to maintain the, uh, the, the, the highest by the higher biodiversity as possible, but we have to be very careful about invasive plants and how they can deal with native plants. And uh, in the picture, you see the, the, the Ailanthus altissima, the tree of heaven, which is actually the tree of hell because it's probably the, uh, the biggest uh, and the, the, the most widespread tree, uh, tree alien invasive plant in, in the world. There are some advantages of using native plants. This is especially eradicated in the popular thinking. Uh, people think that native species are best adapted to local condition, but condition, but what condition? The present condition uh, in this climate change times or uh, 200 years ago, 300 years ago condition, because they were different. Those conditions, uh, the condition which were uh, common 300, 300 years ago, were very different from the climate condition of uh, today. Then uh, species available for all local soil like condition. Also about this statement, I'm not that sure. Probably it's true, but not, not always. Uh, provide habitat for native wildlife. It's, it's not definitely true because I have seen nests, I have seen animals, birds and other kind of animals, even on uh, uh, foreign plants, on, on alien plants, they just don't care about uh, which species of tree is, is, uh, is a species that is used in the urban environment. They just nest wherever they think it's better to, uh, to nest. And then uh, people think that native plants are part of the local heritage, which is correct, but, and we'll see that it's not definitely true, especially if you talk about a country like Italy where I live. Uh, but we have to be careful of the danger of invasive plants. These are four major invasive in, in Europe and especially in Italy, the tree of heaven, the paper mulberry, uh, the royal polonia and Rubinia pseudacacia. We'll be surprised because, you know, Rubinia pseudacacia is a very nice tree. 
very nice flower, very scenty flowers, very nice uh, fall coral of the leaves. But in Europe and especially in Italy, it's considered invasive, even though it's used for wood production and for stabilizing uh, slopes and, and landslides. But anyway, probably uh, being in US, if you are looking at this presentation from the United States, you will think that Norway maple, which is a native plant in Europe, it's a weed, it's an invasive plant for you. So it also depends, the invasive or not invasive, depends on where you, where you live, where you are, or where you work. And, but what do we mean by invasive? You see, these are two plants, Polonia and uh, Ailanthus. Uh, I took this picture just outside of my, of my office where we have the greenhouses. Uh, Ailanthus is everywhere. Polonia was planted, was used for an experiment a few years ago. Uh, some flowers probably produce seeds and now it's everywhere. So the biologists refer to an invasive plant as one that when planted in gardens, arborita or and botanical gardens may escape cultivation and when in the wild has a tendency to establish monocultures by clustering and choking out native species. This is the, the I read it because this is the exact definition of invasive uh, coined by some biologists. But and what is the danger? The danger is to have a biological invasion uh, to lose habitats and then uh, losing uh, some endangered animals. Uh, we can have a destabilization of natural ecosystem and a global threat uh, to biological diversity and sometimes irreparable damages to the environment like it's happening in Rome where Islanthus is uh, colonizing all the slopes which are in the cities. And also you see they can bring new allergies uh, for people who are uh, sensitive to allergies. So it's important to uh, be very careful when we select uh, trees, shrubs, and any kind of plants for new projects for the future, for the city of 2050, maybe for the city of 2100s, because what we plant today would be probably a big, a huge trees in 80 years. So we have to consider what will happen in, in the uh, future, uh, short term, medium term and long term uh, future. So uh, what uh, are the trees that should be used in green infrastructure? Because now we have to talk about uh, green infrastructure. We, we cannot talk about just trees in the, in the row along the streets, trees in the square or in a small urban forest we have to think about to think about and talk about green infrastructure so we need three major uh, factors plasticity which is how species are adaptable to a wide range of environmental conditions uh, in terms of temperatures soil characteristics uh, pollution tolerance water logging drought etc the ecological resilience which is the capacity to maintain its functions after environmental disturbance, which is related to plasticity. And then uh, we have to be, uh, we have to consider the structural diversity, which describes the spatial complexity offered by plant shape and is generally applied to a set of plants rather to a single, a single tree or a single uh, shrubs. 
And we have some question on uh, plant material selection uh, that we have to answer in a global change, not just climate change, but a global change scenario. Uh, the first question is, which species are more suitable to face the climate change? For example, drought or flood tolerant, because uh, we, we can have a long period of drought alternated with uh, by heavy rain, which uh, produce, uh, produces flooding, produce water logging, and so on. So we need species that are both tolerant to water logging and to drought. Then the second question is, which species should be planted to maximize uh, CO2 sequestration and storage? Third question, uh, can the natural tolerance of some, some species be increased using sustainable management techniques? And then maybe uh, we should decide to use only native species or maybe introduce some exotic species that are suitable for a certain uh, environment. And uh, I think that at the base of everything, we should think about uh, avoiding the unmanageable and managing the unavoidable, uh, meaning that uh, uh, we cannot plant, we cannot use in our new green areas, trees, shrubs or plants that we will not be able to manage in a reasonable and economic way. And at the same time, we have to manage what we have, something that probably we uh, wouldn't plant now, but it was planted 80, and 80 years, maybe 100 years ago, and now it, we have trees that are very old, but they are sometimes they are also veteran trees, and we have to maintain them uh, with security, with safety, and in full shape, and to continue to have uh, the benefits these trees provide. So uh, we have to choose uh, trees that are able to mitigate, meaning to prevent the climate change, for example, uh, using also other, other, uh, other techniques like the emission reduction, which is the first thing we, we should do, sustainable transportation, etc. And then uh, adaptation to respond and to impact of, to the impact of climate change, which means also to plant trees and shrubs with high drought tolerance and more re resilience. This is a list of a species uh, which is uh, uh, adaptable to the Mediterranean basin or the Mediterranean-like climates like California, probably uh, some part of the, uh, the Oregon, Washington state, and some part of Australia, South Africa, and, uh, and maybe some part of so the of the South America. Uh, these species are uh, in green, I put in green the species which are uh, native of my of my country or, or, or Mediterranean basin. All the others, as you can see, are not native, are alien species or alloctonous species, but they are all species that are, uh, that will be much more adaptable than native species in the future uh, climate change uh, scenario. And I wrote this article a few years ago for Arborist News, so you can uh, go back to, to this to find more, uh, more information about the, the, the debate between native and uh, versus exotic. But anyway, uh, uh, 
what should be the criteria uh, to select species uh, for future cities. First criteria is to plant species which are not in the southern or northern, if you are in the southern hemisphere, part of their distribution range at the planting site. So uh, you should choose uh, trees which are uh, which comes which come from the southern part. If you are in northern hemisphere, on the northern part. If you are in the, in the southern hemisphere, do not limit uh, the choice to the native species and use and drought each tolerant species and then diversify planties. I think you are familiar with the 30 2010 uh, rule issued by Santa Moore 30 years ago. Uh, John Ball a few years ago talked about 10, 5, and who knows, maybe 1%, 2%, maybe 5%, which means 30% of the of plants uh, belonging to the same family, 20%, no more than 20% of plants belonging to the same genus, and no more than 10% of species belonging to the same species. Uh, and then plant species with the low emission of volatile volatile organic compounds and where and when possible uh, using non-allergenic uh, species. Uh, you see that the, the number of species used in some cities in the US, these data are quite old, 30 years ago. Uh, I took them from Basuk. I worked within the Basuk uh, for uh, several months dating back to 1994. And you see that how uh, you see how uh, biodiversity and how the total number of street species changes according to different places in the United States with the, uh, the Western state like California, uh, <clears throat> uh, Washington state, Oregon, and also the British Columbia in, in Canada uh, being much, much richer in biodiversity than uh, the, the state in located in, especially in the in the central part of the US, like Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois, and, and so on. And uh, uh, so the other principle to be uh, kept in mind is that, is that diversity can be the key against adversity. So we, we should, and we have, and we must, we have to, we must improve the number of species, species to be used in the urban uh, planting, but uh, we have, uh, given a definition of biodiversity, but what you can see in this slide is not a, a, a biodiversity. It's, uh, uh, it's something that is uh, nice to see, but it's not also sustainable. Uh, but sometimes we love and we want biodiversity, but it's not always what we expect it to be. I, I don't like, for example, myself to see an iguana uh, walking when, when I'm visiting a botanical garden or a garden in, in some part of the United States or in South America or in, in Australia. And uh, also uh, sometimes we, uh, we say that we like, we love biodiversity, but biodiversity is also this, uh, to see trees that are dead, uh, fallen trees, trees that are invading the paths and so on. But this is the real biodiversity. And sometimes we, we like it only when we see it on a screen, on a TV, or on a, on a newspaper, but we don't like it, to, the real biodiversity. And also the second factor is what's native in this place, because uh, those who are uh, stating that we should use only native species 
in the urban environment, uh, species that are belonging with the same area uh, that uh, originated, that evolved in the same area, uh, are not native of this place. What is native here? Buildings are not native, pavements are not native, cars are not native, and, and so on. So uh, now we have to explain why we should use uh, both native and exotic species. You see that in this slide, I put a, a Fraxinus excelsior. It's a species which is native uh, all over Europe, but it's, it, it likes uh, um, cooler climate than, than the climate in Italy. It likes uh, uh, humid soils and uh, organic soil. And if you plant these trees, even though it's native also with, in some part of Italy, this uh, is, is the result. Uh, on the other picture, there is a, a big ginkgo. Uh, there, there, is, there are three big, big ginkgo trees which are doing uh, quite well everywhere probably in the world. They're not native, but probably the one, they're one, one of the best species in the world for the urban environment. Example, uh, the black alder is native of all over Europe, from Russia to Spain to Greece to Turkey to UK, uh, Scandinavian countries and all the Mediterranean basin. Even in some part of uh, North Africa, you can find uh, the black alder, Alnus glutinosa. But uh, in biogeography, a species is defined as indig indigenous or native to a given region or ecosystem if its presence in that region is the result of only natural resources with no human intervention. In the upper part of this slide, you see the native site for black, black alder in the north of Italy. Very humid area, close to rivers, close to streams and uh, uh, very uh, uh, organic soil and so on. If you plant the same trees, also very nice trees coming from the nursery in an urban area with uh, all the pavements, with a very limited irrigation, that is the results, or this is the results. You see that even a few miles from the uh, native, play, native site, uh, the same tree, the same species, uh, don't uh, don't survive because or cannot survive because uh, it's native of a special uh, site, not native of that kind of site. Very arid, uh, pavement, uh, limited uh, water availability, and so on. And also another example. This is Norway maple, very spread all over Europe and in Italy. This is this is the results of a planting close to a lake in central Italy, uh, even. Uh, they provide some irrigation. The, the summer in, in, in central Italy is very hot and dry, and so these trees cannot, couldn't survive without uh, uh, a reasonable irrigation uh, any, single, any single week or maybe twice a week. So sometimes uh, uh, we, we, uh, I, I have uh, discussed with uh, the so-called green Taliban's who are strongly against any kind of exotic, exotic species in the urban environment. This road, sorry, was planted with the calorie pear, chanticleer uh, cultivar, so very tolerant to any kind of uh, factors, pollution, drought, uh, and so on. You see after 
Eight is how big uh, those trees on ice are. They are in summer, and I I uh, drove along this road this morning, and uh, trust me, they're becoming yellow and red, and this road is be just beautiful. Probably any other native species uh, could have been uh, done better than uh, color repair in that specific environment. And also, it's not uh, true that uh, non-native species can uh, or always cause a problem, because you see, uh, about 85% of exotic plants and animals pose no substantial environmental problems. And I want to show you some picture of uh, places around, uh, around uh, my city. Uh, what do you think about Cedrus Libani as an icon of the Italian historical gardens? It's not native. It comes from Lebanon. Uh, it was imported uh, 350 years ago, but now it's everywhere in Italy. It's an icon of our, of our gardens, especially historical uh, garden and also historical parks. And uh, uh, Cyprus, Cyprus is the typical feature of central Italy and especially of Tuscany. And uh, this evocative Cypress Avenue uh, inspired one of the most famous poet, uh, Italian poet, Giuseppe Carducci, who wrote a, a, a poem which is famous probably all over the world, not just in Italy. And this road is uh, more than two miles in length and it attracts now uh, hundreds of thousands of tourists every single year when uh, they could come to, to Italy to take to take picture of this magnificent avenue made of cypresses which are not native. They, they came from uh, Middle East, they came from Turkey, from Iran, uh, from Iraq, but they're not native of the Mediterranean, uh, strictly Mediterranean basin as the Italian stone pine. It was imported by, uh, uh, by people who came to Italy probably 3,000, maybe 4,000 years ago. They imported this tree, which is native uh, in the island and in the part of Spain and North Africa. Uh, Italian stone pine, Italian umbrella pine, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, it's now spread everywhere. Uh, all over Italy, it's a typical, it's a typical icon of uh, the, the, the roads along the, the sea or close to the sea, like this road. It's beautiful, it, it's magnificent, but people think that uh, Italian stone pine is native. It's also called Italian, but it's not native from Italy, strictly native. And you see this picture, I took this picture very, very close, uh, think 50 minutes by walk from my, from maybe 20 minutes uh, by walk from my house. You see Italian cypresses, which are not Italian, olive trees that came from uh, uh, Middle East and cedar trees, same, uh, from Lebanon or from uh, uh, the Himalayan uh, uh, mountain chain. And you see this is the typical landscape in the Florentine hills in Tuscany, made mainly of exotic species. And also the Temple Valley in Sicily, almond trees that came from China and also cypresses and olives, other and pines, you see also Aleppo pines that are typical of the North Africa and uh, Middle East in, in Asia. So we should introduce the concept of visual uniformity and biological diversity. Uh, we can use species which are very similar 
in, uh, in aesthetics and in shape and in colors, but they are completely different from a biological point of view. For example, these are uh, a, a European linden tree on, on the left and the uh, uh, Codlus uh, colurna, the, I don't remember the name in English, hazelnut, uh, Caucasian hazelnut or something, something like that. Very similar in shape, a leaf shape, a leaf color, but completely different in terms of genetics, so they can be used alternatively to improve biodiversity. And also, we have a problem in Europe with the parasite uh, which attacks the uh, horse chestnut. We can use Aesculus indica, we use Aesculus glaber, very similar, different color of the flower, but very similar shape, very similar growth. Uh, they are not attacked by this uh, insect. Uh, Celtis australis, European hackberry, spread all over the place in, in Italy, very drought uh, tolerant, uh, also uh, very uh, frost resistant. Uh, but you know, at present, there are no uh, dangerous parasites for these trees, these species, but we don't know in the future what will happen. And so it's, it's better, it would be better, in my opinion, to introduce some trees like Zelkova, Serrata, which are very similar, or Zirkova carpinifolia, which are very similar in shape, in, in growth, and also uh, the leaves are very similar to improve biodiversity and to reduce the danger of uh, uh, some parasites. Uh, we have a lot of uh, this mountain maple, Ace pseudoplatanus. We have two species that come from uh, the lower part of the, the south. Uh, the southeast part of Italy and from Greece, from uh, Macedonia, from uh, uh, the Balkan uh, Peninsula. And so we can, we can use also uh, the, the, these two trees, which are very similar to the mountain maple, to introduce them in that area where uh, drought spells are longer or where you know, uh, the, uh, the solar radiation is higher because they're much more adaptable than mountain maple. And uh, according to uh, uh, Eric Seelman, a colleague from Sweden, uh, I took these pictures from the, his doctorate, his PhD thesis, very well done, uh, by the way. Uh, he said that it's necessary to acquire information on the performance of little known species in urban environment and their natural habitats, uh, and they must be well studied. Uh, also, we have to know that in the nursery, the conditions are, are very different. And so when you put the plants in the urban stand, they can behave in a very different way. It's just a complete different environment. And also we need to know uh, uh, the, the, how the species changes along a mountain or a hill uh, profile. And so uh, if you choose species from a, a mountain, from a, a slope which is facing south, you cannot put them in a slope that is facing north and vice versa, because probably uh, they will not be uh, suitable for this use. And also you see that how the species composition in China, in this mountain in China, changes according to different uh, exposition of this, of this mountain. And also it's important when you use more than one species uh, that uh, grow together. No, it's important to know that, for example, 
Norway maple and Scots pine uh, behave completely different uh, in, in droughty soil or most moist and wet drained soil with uh, Norway maple, which is doing much better in moist and wet drained soil than uh, Scots pine. So if you put Scots pine and uh, Norway maple in a droughty soil, you will probably find that uh, uh, the Scots pine overwhelm the Norway maple and it's just the opposite if you plant these two trees, these two species in moist wet-drained soil. So you have to be very careful uh, about what species to be used where. And we have some trial, trials here at the University of Florence to uh, check the uh, the uh, some uh, different kind of uh, species composition for urban woods. Uh, current climatic condition we are comparing with the future climatic conditions. So we have changes all the species to be used for the next uh, planting uh, for the urban uh, forest and urban woods. So we have to choose the species on the environmental performances and not just on the aesthetics. It's very important. The same picture I showed you a few minutes before. You see how uh, uh, foreign species like uh, calorie pear, like ginkgo, uh, or like uh, calorie pear again, or uh, sequoia, for example, uh, do very well. I didn't take this picture in the Sequoia National Park, nor in the Redwood uh, Park. It was taken very close to my house. There is a uh, a big sequoia uh, wood which was planted in the eight, late 1800s by a man who uh, loved sequoia and the climate in that area is very similar to the climate in southern uh, Oregon or in northern California. You see these uh, two, uh, actually it's probably just one uh, sequoia, how big uh, they have become in uh, a little more than 100 probably 130, 140 years. Uh, so we shouldn't be scared about using exotic species and we shouldn't be too fundamentalist in our choices because what we choose now, it's very important to build the city of the future. So rather than try to achieve environmental conformity with all the regulation that excludes the use, exclude the use of exotic species in the future project, for in my opinion, it would be much more reasonable to stimulate the landscape architects, the designer to uh, plan this, uh, green areas uh, uh, using a, a, a much higher variety of native as well as uh, non-native uh, species. So the take home message at this point is that uh, we have to answer uh, I put 10 simple questions, maybe they can be seven or eight, maybe they can be uh, 15. I don't know, I just put uh, 10 simple questions, I'm not uh, read them all because uh, you can uh, see it again with this presentation. But anyway, we have to answer all these, these 10 questions before choosing a species, not just native or uh, exotic species, but we have to answer this. this uh, 10, uh, 10 questions. And uh, because we know we have to plant the right tree in the right place. Uh, we have uh, we have repeated, I don't know how many times this 
statement, the right tree in the right place. And then we, ha we have to give to the trees, to the, to the trees, the right management to keep them living and providing uh, ecosystem services. So we have to maximize the effect on climate, to, pet, to better man, manage some water, to increase CO2 sequestration, carbon storage, and to reduce pollution. So these are the main principles uh, on which we should choose our uh, future uh, trees. And also, uh, we have to be careful because uh, uh, we have to involve the, the stakeholders, we have to involve the policymakers. Uh, we have to involve the developers and we have to involve uh, at the end the citizens and homeowners because they they should be informed about uh, how to uh, use some species where to plant some species and uh, and which species to to be planted because otherwise our uh, speeches our talks our presentation remain in a, in a very limited uh, number of people who attend uh, conferences, who are uh, ISA members or members of other Boriculture uh, Society. We have to uh, uh, give this information also to the people who are outside of our world, but they are those people who will benefit uh, of the right choice of uh, the trees for the, the city of the future. So I have given you a lot of theoretical notion and then uh, uh, some years ago when I was working with Nina Basu, she showed me uh, this data. You see that uh, uh, the, the, the principal species, the most widespread species at that time in some uh, cities in New York, in upper New York state where it was Ace Platanodis, Norway maple, which is considered an invasive tree in uh, in United States, especially in that part of the United States, and it's also susceptible to several diseases. So why? Uh, I was wondering why it's so widely spread. Uh, also, the genus Ace was uh, representing from uh, uh, 34 up to 40, 58 percent of the total number of species in these three cities, Rochester, Syracuse and Ithaca. And I had no answer at that time. I was wondering why. And then uh, Nina told me that uh, when uh, the uh, Dutch M disease uh, killed all the M trees, which were so common in these cities and also common in, uh, in other parts of the United States, they replaced them with uh, uh, a species which was fast growing, uh, which was nice, uh, uh, which had a very uh, brilliant coloring in, in, in the fall and so on. And But I was wondering why uh, was Acer platanoides the, 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 the first choice, not Acer rubrum, which is a native from the United States, saccharinum or uh, sweet maples, actually Acer uh, saccharum. And uh, the answer is quite simple. Uh, if you look for a fast-growing shade tree species with, with nice shape, attractive foliage with bright fall color, you check a nursery and first thing first, thing first chosen is the first uh, trees with these characteristics that you find in the nursery catalog. 
the choice was made based on the first one uh, that was found was the first one that was used. And it is terrible if you think that uh, there are uh, you know, thousands of species that can be used. And so uh, uh, we, we might have, we hope that we won't have a problem like Dutch and disease in the, in, the, in the near future, in the next future, but uh, we have repeated planting uh, old uh, Acer, especially uh, Norway maple in, in the place of, uh, of elms, we have repeated the same mistakes using too many uh, trees uh, of the same species for urban planting. And so uh, changing the face can change nothing, but facing the change can change everything. So we have to facing the change and changing uh, the face, changing our mind about plant choices. And uh, we need to choose, we must choose plants which will thrive in, in our uh, city of the future and uh, that will provide the highest benefits for us uh, because we need, we need those benefits. We need trees uh, because uh, trees are good, uh, tree needs care, tree needs care, and arborists care for trees. Thank you very much. This concludes the talk by Dr. Francesco Farini from the University of Florence in Italy on native versus exotic landscape plants. This talk was originally presented at the 2020 ISA virtual conference. The views and information expressed are those of the presenter. If you would like additional information on plant selection, go to the ISA web store. There are numerous books on this topic and tree planting. Join us next month for another presentation of the ISA's Science of Arboriculture podcast series.